Welcome to this edition of At The Mic. I'm your host, Keith Malinak, as we continue season number three of At The Mic. This week, we sit down with my friend Ellen Wheeler. And does she have a story to tell that takes her from Utah to Hollywood and then into the world of politics? That's next. First, let's talk about an American hero who lived over a century ago, a great man named Frederick Douglass. He was a former slave who went on to influence one of the giants of the American presidency, Abraham Lincoln. Douglass lived an amazing life. And in fact, he was the most photographed American in the 19th century. Frederick Douglass, wow. His stern, direct gaze was as intentional as his writing. He used the new medium to help defeat the happy, ignorant slave stereotype. His look is legend. A quote from Douglass that I just love is that it's easier to build strong children than to repair broken men. So true. Another memorable quote of his. I love this. If there is no struggle, there is no progress. Those who profess to favor freedom and yet depreciate agitation are men who want crops without plowing up the ground. They want rain without thunder and lightning. They want the ocean without the awful roar of its many waters. This struggle may be a moral one, or it may be a physical one, or it may be both moral and physical, but it must be a struggle. Power concedes nothing without a demand. It never did, and it never will. Frederick Douglass. Such a way with words that we can apply to today. Well, in honor of this great American, the Frederick Douglass Coffee Blend from American Pride Roasters Coffee is a special micro lot. It just means it came from a very small batch on a single farm. Well, this micro lot blend is from Colombia, and like its namesake, it's complex in its flavor, but it's bold and smooth at the same time. It's got a, a sweet chocolate caramel finish that will energize your day. Head over to APR Coffee and, and try this and so many other blends available for both the occasional coffee drinker or someone who powers through cup after cup every day. And remember, as always, use promo code ATM at checkout. Get you 10% off. ATM stands for at the mic when you purchase coffee from aprcoffee.com. Get on this before you forget, aprcoffee.com. You're listening to At The Mic with Keith, an independent podcast production. Ellen Wheeler is my guest on this week's edition of At The Mic. She and I were co-workers at The Blaze until she headed back to her ranch in the Utah mountains in one of the most beautiful parts of the country. She and I talked about her fascinating life and her incredible story in the ash of Mount St. Helens. Wow, she's got some stories to tell. So let's get things started right now on At The Mic. Before I hit the record button, you were starting to uh, tell me about why you take notes. Because you see, I have the email that I send out to my guests printed up here, and I have a pen. But but you were talking about how when you take notes, you use a Sharpie. And I was interested. I was like, wait, wait, wait till we start the podcast. So tell me why a Sharpie is is supreme in this endeavor. Okay. There there are several reasons. I, I do not like ballpoint pens. The okay. first is that I, I am not a good like writer, like printing, like 
copy book cursive, you know, all that stuff. I hate it. Like the pen goes too fast. Mm -hmm. My hand starts going faster than my hand can control itself. Yeah. And so it just makes a mess all over. Then the ink also spreads like your yeah. hand gets in it and the ink spreads. That's I know you're point. supposed to hold your fingers up and not rest your hand, but I'm too lazy when yep. I'm writing. Yep. Yep. So I get ink Those smeared all over. Okay. Then secondly, Sharpies. So, and Sharpies have resistance, hmm. you know, when you're, trying to write like there's a little bit of squeaky resistance on the paper so they don't go so fast oh. two they're bolder and my eyes are going quick glance down yeah, you can see your you notes can and see stuff. your notes now yeah. the other thing is a pencil i love to write with a pencil that's because it has some resistance as but well maintenance involved there, yeah there is know? but the other thing is i wear my hair up in this ponytail okay and you can stick a pencil easily through your hair you and can then do that you with have a pen. It. No, you cannot. Why not? Because pens. So first off, what, like what, if you do it, so I'm grabbing pen. your pen. But if I stick this pen in here, yeah. ink goes on your scalp. Okay, but is that bad? Yeah. Why? Do you want like look at your scalp? I can see your scalp. If you got ink all over your scalp, you just look ridiculous. Yeah. Well, I look ridiculous with or without the ink. Anyway, but, so but no one's gonna see it in your scalp. But I understand your point about the sharpie. In fact, with show prep every morning with Pat Gray. I produce Pat Gray Unleashed here at The Blaze, and I'm sure people can see it on camera all the time. Notes that I've written for Pat in Sharpie, because I am trying to make it quick, because, you know... Right, because you can just glance down. Yes, because ballpoint pen, you can't read my handwriting at all. And it's moderately better with a Sharpie. Yeah. So I understand your point. The, I guess the one problem with that is that it does take up more paper, so it's sort of anti-environmentalist. I don't care. To use I the Sharpie. Care. Yeah, that never crosses my mind. I, I kill a, an entire forest full of trees every morning with the printer. Not It doesn't even, not a part of my calculus. But this being said now, with, with the pen and stuff, right? Maybe one reason I don't want to use a Sharpie here today is I don't want you to be able to read what I'm about to ask you. You see what I'm saying? Because uh, you're sitting right here in such close quarters. That, that's true. That's Aha. true. So see if you keep it. And that's true from this far away. Yeah. I can't. Uh, my I, I would have to put my glasses on to be able to see that. Yeah. I can't see anything. And if it's you just do, a bunch of scribbles. Right. If at any point during this conversation I see you put your glasses on, I'm going to start moving the paper well, as so a matter of fact i don't know that you don't just have a bunch of scribbles written down there and you're just yeah. trying to fool me into That's thinking right. that you actually have prepared some questions so you, grew, or you, so you were born and raised in glendale or glendale california glendale california oh glendale no, my glendale wait a minute wait, wait, my, okay. well i'm Hold a bad on. typist as well oh, so. okay because it's so, glenda so and but my parents so I like to say Hollywood because my parents oh. lived in Hollywood and the Glendale Hospital was the closest hospital so I was actually born in Glendale but I lived in Hollywood and like there's something awesome about yeah. like you know I was born in the 60s in the Hollywood Hills like that's a neat time to have been in Hollywood yeah. I don't remember it because we moved away yeah how how old were you when you moved away um we moved away from Hollywood when I was like a year Oh. And so, but then I stayed in Southern California till I was nine. And oh, then I moved okay. to Southern Utah. I gotcha. Okay. So I'm a Cal half California, half Utah. I gotcha. What got your family? Because that's two different worlds completely. Southern California, Southern Utah. What was the impetus to get you guys moved? Yeah, I don't think it was that different than a lot of things parents are going through today. Huh. My parents were looking at the education system and right. saying, like, we don't like what's happening here in education. We want to move our children somewhere else. Um, and they were looking at uh, Oregon and Idaho uh, Wyoming, they were looking at places up north and nice. southern Utah was kind of halfway. 
So it was a place yeah. they would stop often as they were looking oh, wow. <laughs> at these other places. And pretty soon they were like, you know, yeah, we'll stop here because we think it's nice. Maybe we should just move here. So we, I mean, it was literally like. Like your parents did what I threaten my kids and my wife with all the time. We're moving to the Rockies. We're moving to the mountains. We're moving to Montana. You yeah. know, it sounds like they actually just did that. They they completely did that. Because my mom actually, when she and my stepdad retired, they actually moved to Southern Utah, which is so ironic that that tucked way up in the hills where you live today on a ranch far from the insanities of the world. Before I knew you, I actually, ironically enough, was up in this area right where you live today. I'm sure I saw your ranch and I just, I love that area of the country, Southern Utah. When you get up from the desert floor, it's it, the day I was there in the middle of summer, it was 35 degrees cooler up there. It, it's, it, you know, I live in the high desert. So I'm, I'm, if you're looking for a place to go, I would say come to Southern Utah, except I want it to stay how right. it is. So, right. okay. That's you know, a, that's a like, good place. Please don't come here because, unless you want it, unless you want it to stay the same too. Right. right? Yeah. But, so, so, uh, we moved. We moved, and I, I, I loved it. We moved to a very small trailer in a very small trailer park, and I grew up mostly in a trailer. Wow! Living in a eight an eight by thirty two foot trailer. I want to touch on that big time here, but first I want to say to your point about ruining places. I got in so much trouble when when the family and I went to Montana, and practically it felt like every hour of every day for the next three weeks. I would just post pictures of Montana because it's so great. And I got so many people messaging me or saying in public, stop it, yeah. stop it. We want Don't to keep it Don't tell anybody how good but it is that, here. That's what's happening to so many great places in this country is the really nice places, the secret gets out. And then before you know it, it's as bad as the places these people ran from. Oh, I So I have to say though, Keith, I think that you can look at any place you live in as good. Like I lived in New York for most of my adult life, New York City, and I love New York City too. Mm -hmm. And I think there's great things about living there. Not not just a few great things. It's not like I'm just saying, oh, there's. Uh, I raised my children there. I oh, think wow. I think New York is fantastic, and I would move back there in a second. Oh. I I love it. So I think that great or, or what makes a place great is different to everyone. Mm -hmm. You know, people are looking for different kinds of things, and. And then I do think a lot of that is the attitude you take. Like, what am I going to appreciate about okay. where I live? And I they, I really think it's important to do that because you could end up saying, oh, I hate it here. And your next door neighbor may think where, you, you know, the same place is fantastic. You're yeah. just not taking the time to sort of recognize okay. what you so have. It was like, my... there are no good restaurants in my town. You know, like I like I love living there. But if I want to go out, I mean, uh, every restaurant owner in my town now is not going to get a lot of uh, free dinners three, now. <laughs> three or four, maybe tops, right? So it's, you know, I, I, there are there are always things to like in the place that you that you live so currently. Living. That the only issue when I lived in New Jersey was my attitude. Yes. Oh wow. Oh. Kind of like your attitude is now. What was what was my attitude right now? Well, I don't you think you like to uh, at least put on this ruse of being cynical? <laughs> ruse? Yeah. I'm very cynical. <laughs> I am very concerned. That's why I started this podcast because because the state of the world in talking politics every day is so maddening that I came to this 
podcast to have a refuge from the storm. And it's insane out there. It is insane. I mean, the, the state of the world is insane in lots of ways, but the state of the world is great. I mean, there's never been so many great things either. I need this. Give because, me, give me this. you know, when, 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 when you and I were young, did we actually think we would have a tiny computer in our hands and be able to communicate to everybody? Did we think no. we'd be able to watch every movie that ever existed in a moment's notice? I did think I was going to have a Did I think watch. I'd be able to shop? Right. I, I thought I was going to have a watch with a TV on it so I could watch football and baseball wherever I went. But I never thought in a million years it was going to have the yeah. computing power to exactly. get me to the moon if I needed to. I mean, if I, I, I could right now call the grocery store, not call. But like shop, I can see exactly what groceries are in the grocery store next to the, my mom where she lives. And I can have someone from that grocery store deliver groceries to yeah. her without ever going to the store. But I know how many jars of mayonnaise they have in the store like that. That's that. Those are kind of some miraculous things. We can come up with vaccines for a, a disease we didn't know existed two and a half years ago, we can have a vaccine for it right okay. away. I'm saying there are really fantastic things about right. being in the world today, too. But but I'm not arguing with convenience or technology or advancement or things that make our lives easier. I'm saying just from a, a macro perspective, the state of this country compared to where it was when we were kids is light years away. I, so you disagree? I no. I I I spend a lot of time thinking that the state sanity. of the country general is, sanity that the state of the country is really bad. But then when I actually do try to sit down and read the history, I'm not sure that the people who were my age a hundred years ago didn't think the state of the okay. country was really bad. Right. And so I I try to keep myself. Well, no, I don't try to keep myself. My wonderful husband tries to keep me <laughs> from going off the rails right. in my in my upsetness at at the state of the country because I, it is good to remember that in, in sort of every generation has that feeling of like, oh my goodness, I, I, I things are going off the rails. Sure, you absolutely. Know? I mean, I, it it sparked a revolution that that created this very country that we're sitting in right now in this climate controlled facility with this magic capability to record this conversation and talk to hundreds of thousands of people. Right, right. exactly. Oh, I, no, this podcast millions of downloads every episode. Oh, mi yeah. sorry, I did not mean to right? underplay it. Thank you. I, for some reason, it just doesn't show up on Apple that way. Anyhow, because that is a great point that, uh, that and, and you're talking the, about. And the state of politics was bad. I mean, if you yeah. read the articles from 100 years ago, they were like, oh, my gosh, this election. I can't believe, you know, this is the state of politics today. I can't believe how corrupt things are. I mean, it, this is this is often we're often tied up in knots. Now, do I think the end of the world is coming? Quite possibly. <laughs> so See? I don't want to underplay that okay, part either. Okay, okay. And, and and I mean this with all honest, I hate to say with all due respect because it sounds like just the opposite, but is it easier to have that optimistic perspective when you live in such an isolated, out of, far away from the chaos kind of setting? Yeah. I, I mean, uh, well, and of course, why did I choose to live <laughs> right. in a, you know, an isolated, idealistic kind of place um, and, and and surrounded by a lot of people who also have an idealistic view right. of holding on to American values? I mean, I I do feel strongly that we have to, we have to kind of get back to that and think about what is the most important to us and but not fight about what's the most important, because really most of us agree when we're kind of getting into that um 
what are the values we hold dear? Yeah. Well, let's go back to your childhood where you are the oldest of seven siblings. Seven siblings. Girl, boy, girl, boy, girl, boy, girl. So my how... parents were very organized. <laughs> <laughs> how, how far removed in age are you from the youngest then? Uh, almost 20 years. Wow. So you were a de facto mom to, to some of them, right? In a oh, way. Oh, I was a, in more than just a way. Tell yeah. Me. Uh, well, my, when I was in my early twenties, my parents got a divorce and it didn't go well, oh, you boy. know, and the baby was at that time only about five mm. and it, it didn't go well and they couldn't, neither one of them could handle taking care of the kids. So it, there was my brother, I was 20, my mid mid to early twenties. And my brother was a three years younger. And then there was a 10 year gap after that. So, um, how organized were your parents? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> uh, yeah. So, um, uh, so all my brothers and sisters came to live with my old, my brother and I, Wow. so we raised them for the next few years. So I'm very close to my, because of that, I'm extremely close to my siblings. So you found this, the, 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 uh, I guess the benefit of Dark times. Yeah. And I'm not sure it was, I mean, I'm not saying it wasn't hard, but I wouldn't call it dark. It was difficult, but it was also, you know, like I said, it was really wonderful. It brought us together and we, we can serve and understand each other now, you know, still to this day. I'm not saying lots of siblings aren't close, but this kind of, we had to, we only had each other, you know? So it kind of causes this, you have to band together as this group of people. And uh, I didn't know what I was doing. I'm not saying I was a very good mom during that time. <laughs> I, you know, I tell them all now, like, if you guys have any problems, you really can blame it on me because I was completely experimenting. You know, all of a sudden I'm raising nine <laughs> and 12 year olds. <laughs> like I've never, I don't, I don't Did know. Did they turn out okay do. then? Uh, yeah, I think, I the think they part, turned out I, great. Okay, I think good. they're fantastic. See, well, congratulations. You know? That's amazing, <laughs> I still y'all. invite them over for Thanksgiving, so it must be okay. <laughs> That's good. So you end up going to Southern Utah State and Brigham Young University. So when you guys, let me let me back up there because it's to be assumed that, you know, for the most part, when you go to BYU, you're LDS. Yes. Right? So when did you become LDS? Was it before you moved to Utah or once you got there? Oh, no, I was born into a religious family. Oh, wow. And okay. I've always been a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Even in Southern California, they allow yeah, they Mormons do. to well, live there? Well, you know, this was a few years ago, so right. things like that were still okay. <laughs> uh-huh. Okay. All right. Very good. So you end up going to BYU. So, and I went oh. to, so I went to BYU first. And I was at BYU for part of a semester. I made it through part of a semester. And then I got offered a job acting in a play that was touring. And I, I you know, I sat there and weighed my my situation this back is, and forth. I'm literally yeah. like, I could pay someone to act <laughs> or someone could pay me to act. <laughs> is, I'm, I'm so glad you, you, you mentioned this because I was going to ask you, how do you go from Southern California to Utah and then into acting and here you go. There was a traveling show, huh? Yeah. Um, and no, so I, I'm super lucky. I went into my family business. It, that sounds weird. But when I was growing up, my parents owned a theater. Like that's how they made their living. When I was very young in Southern California, they owned their own live theater. We lived in the back office. So I was never not at rehearsal or making costumes or in a play. I did my first play when I was two years old. Okay. And I, we were always, I thought everyone came home from kindergarten 
collated scripts and had rehearsal and then stayed up after that and built costumes. Like I thought all families, I didn't know all families didn't do plays together every day. (laughs) In kindergarten, yeah. I I thought that that's what you did. Like I I really (laughs) did. I just didn't know that all families didn't do right. musicals that together. Just, that was, yeah, that like, was your normal. Exactly. Like, hmm. you know, your dad owns a drugstore or you run a farm or you do Sound of Music when you're six. You know, <laughs> like I, I just thought everybody did that. So how old were you when you joined with this group that was passing through? 17. Wow. And where were they based out of? Uh, they, I don't. They were some theater company out of Utah and we toured oh, the Western okay. United States. Oh, okay. So I toured for like a summer. Wow. Uh, um, and did a, a play through through the whole summer. And then I came back and I was like, oh, I guess I should go to college. I guess that would be good. And so I went to Southern Utah University after okay. that. And then, but my dad, who had came from the Hollywood era, said to me, why are you, <laughs> what? this is not my advice to the children out there today. Oh, no. Nobody, nobody listened to what I did. Don't do what I do. Do, do what your parents say. say. Okay. No, not what I say, no, but what your, what your parents say. Parents say. But um, my dad, my dad said the opposite thing to me. He said, why are you wasting your best acting years in college? Mm. You are the most sellable and the most viable as an actress between the ages of 17 and 30. And if oh, wow. you spend four or five of them in college, college you're really cutting that time off I like so I things so I packed up my I packed up my uh, AMC pacer <laughs> and ah, nice. drove and drove to Hollywood like okay. that just I just got in the car and drove out and no plan you no just plan showed up and like I'm gonna figure this out no, no plan so then take us through how things were out there because I know eventually you end up with a Big role on a uh, daytime soap opera. Yeah. I, I, I did, I paid my dues like everybody else. So my dad had worked with a theater that was, that is still in Southern California. Uh, when, when I was very young and lived out there, he had worked there. So I literally just went to their theater and I was like, hi, you don't remember me, but I used to come here when I was three years old. Do you have any jobs? And they said, um, sure, you're, you know, Jay Wheeler's daughter. We'll give you a job working in the box office. And the lady in the box office said, I'll rent you a room in my house. So I like lived in a room in her house and I worked at that theater until I couldn't live in her house anymore. And then I lived in the prop room of the theater for a couple of years. Wow. I worked there and I lived, so I slept on a bed that wasn't even the size of a twin bed. Like it was built to be a tiny bed for a, on a stage. stage. Yeah. So wait a and minute, you were using props as your yeah. living quarters. Yeah. I mean, just the whole prop room, like, you know, <sighs> the costumes and the props, everything hanging that on the wall. That would drive me insane. Oh, it was. It People was, coming through there, picking yeah, out stuff. It was, because I was a poor actor. You know, you're not Understood. making any money. Right. But I'm just saying just the principle of people rummaging basically through your stuff effectively. Well, it wasn't my stuff. <laughs> I got you know, it. it was, I got it. But it, it was, I don't know. I think there's squatters rights at some point during the story. You know, But it, but it was really fun because, you know, like you have like, you know, Roman armor and covered <laughs> wag stuff from covered wagons. Right. Like How it's all make dating life. Like, <laughs> I I was a very devoted actor. I did not spend yeah. do a lot of you know like a, my my acting career was very serious to me at that point. Mm-hmm. And I spent pretty much all my time pursuing okay, it. Yeah, so sure. then I got an agent, and I did all of the things that you do. Like I waitressed a graveyard shift from eleven at night to seven in the morning so that I could could audition during the day, uh-huh. and you know I got 
eventually got a commercial and then another commercial and cool. then a, like a one-line speaking role. You remember what the products were? Yes. Uh-oh. My first commercial was a Chevy, a Christmas Chevy commercial. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Are any of these on YouTube? I have no oh, idea. Oh, my gosh. We're totally going to find them. Okay. So, all right. You, when, when did you meet Shannon, your husband? Uh, I met Shannon in high school. Oh, wow. But we did not date. Okay. I, I was, a, <laughs> oh no, I was a senior when Shannon was a sophomore. And you know, senior girls do it. not date sophomores. Right. Like that is a, that is just not something. He needs you, to check yeah. in on you later. Hello. Not, exactly. not while we're in school together. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I, but so t- it's ten years after high school. Okay. And I have moved to New York. So I've gotten you know one job after another. Eventually, I get a job on a soap opera that takes me to New York. That leads to another job on a soap opera, and you know I'm I'm. As, by now, I consider myself a pretty serious actor, mm-hmm. and I've been supporting myself for a long time, taking care of things. Yeah. What uh, were the shows you were on, by the way? Uh, my first, so my first big contract role was on Another World. Okay. Yep. And I and I did that, uh, and then I did All My Children, mm-hmm. uh, and then I did mm, Bold and the Beautiful, uh-huh. and then I did Another World again, and then. I moved to As the World Turns, but as a director. Okay. Weren't you like your, weren't you, um, uh, played a, a big part and you were an evil twin all yeah. at the same time? How was In that? In real life or? No, no, no. On the show. Because <laughs> <laughs> my husband would say I'm an evil twin uh-huh. now. <laughs> yeah. Um, Am I wrong? No, okay. you are completely right. And, um, and so my in my first job at another world oh it was so fun it was it was really awesome in my first job at another world i i was playing like the you know the 16 year old ingenue there's always a 16 year old ingenue on every soap opera right oh. like there's the the sweet girl who everybody you're going to make me google ingenue yeah. What, what, just, like just the the young hipster no the no? young pretty the young oh. i'm saying pretty but like the young sweet okay innocent i, I mean I, I gotta be honest i, I didn't watch too many so yeah operas, well and, but and ingenue is it i, I mean, got it that's the young sweet heroine okay. girl you know right. how many soap operas are even left today that's sad uh i think each network has one okay, okay. sorry to, just, to derail but, you there, but... cbs may still have two okay anyway uh and um, and I loved playing her and they came to me after I'd been doing it for about six months and they said, hey, we were watching you and we think possibly there's this other side to you and you could play like a twin and she would be like, you know, she would be like the mean sister. So like twins that got separated at birth and one got raised because the ingenue was like, you know, from a lovely, wealthy family and every, I mean, just everything was perfect in her life. Uh-huh. And so the other twins gotten, you know, skirted off and has grown up. <laughs> Poor and disheveled oh, and all on nice her own. And she's all and she's all rough around the edges. <laughs> but I had not grown up and rough around the edges, so I really felt like I had to do some studying to come up with that. Like I read my first what I called like trashy romance novel. Uh-huh. Like I'd never like I'd never done stuff like right. that. I I was I was I was a very kind of sweet innocentish person. You I'd been the, raised in that. What was the word? Uh, uh, ingenue. Thank you. You that, that was you. <laughs> yeah. So you had to really. So I felt like I had to role. go outside of myself, <laughs> and it was. But that was fun. I mean, that's what act. You know, that's some of what acting is all about. Were you ever shooting a scene for one of the characters and accidentally were in the wrong character? Oh, never. No. 
no, never. And that was the that that was for sure the most fun because I did, you know, you you'd start in the morning as one character, and then you'd have to switch like your costume and your clothes, and you'd go back and play the other character, and. I did a lot of scenes with myself, right? Like me talking yeah. to me. Yeah. So, uh, you know, you have to remember exactly how you read the line when you read it before. It was very, it was, it was it, super fun. It almost sounds it was like you fun. were getting paid to have psychotherapy. Yeah, to be schizophrenic, <laughs> effectively. <laughs> but now, um, uh, did you get paid? Because this is this is what I've this is what I've always wondered. Because there's a show on Hulu right now that me and the family watch, uh, Benedict Society or something like that, where the character, the main character plays two roles. Mm -hmm. You know, he plays just like you're Mm -hmm. saying, a good brother and a bad brother. And I've often wondered, is it written into the contracts? Like, I'm going to get paid for two roles or is it just comes with the territory? Well, so I don't know how um, how it works you know, especially if a if a role that you're signing on to is already two roles, right? Like when I signed okay, on, yeah, yeah. I I was only hired to play one character. Gotcha. So when they came to me now, and and an evil twin is kind of a, a, a soap opera trope, uh-huh. right? Like we use it, they use it okay. a lot, right? Yeah. So l- there are lots of people have played their own twin or evil twin in soap operas. So when they came to me and said, "Hey, are you know?" would you like to do this? I was like, sure, that would be fantastic. And then literally the night before my evil twin was supposed to show up, I called my agent and I was like, you know, they've never contacted me, but I'm going to be playing a new character. And I don't think like I, I looked at my contract and it only says that I play one. And she was like, well, yeah, but you don't get played paid twice for playing two characters. And I'm like, well, that's not right. Right. I was like, that is not, that is not what I contracted to do. I contracted to come here and play this role. So I was one of the first soap opera actors to sort of say, hey, wow. I started this new trend and they started Did they paying get people. it resolved before yeah. you? Oh, yeah. They resolved it that night. The scene. Oh, wow. mm-hmm. But I wasn't you. meaning to be a pain. It just, it, right. to it me, just it seemed normal. like, wait a minute. To, to me, it seemed normal. Like, I'm going to be doing the work of two people. Exactly. Like, if, if, if you had a sister in the show... And it was a completely different individual, correct? Human being. They would pay her, right? Exactly. I'm so, so glad. That- so I, <laughs> but I, I really wasn't trying to be a like as as somebody who became an executive producer of a soap uh-huh. opera later. I know what a pain in the butt, you know, Jet. talent can be. Uh-huh. Uh, so look, you know, looking at it from the other side, I'm sure they were like. You know, this so-and-so actress, she just thinks she's so awesome. I really wasn't trying right. to be like that. They were probably trying to sneak it by you I on budget I just didn't occur to me, it didn't occur, you know, it just didn't occur to me that they wouldn't pay. It's mm-hmm. two characters, you're no, doing I'm the glad, work of two yeah, people. That makes total sense. Did you have more fun acting in soap operas or directing and producing? Oh, um, I... So fun is such a, like, big term, right? Like, what's, what thing is more fun? Acting is... Um, is easier in this way. It, it's it's more self devastating because you're you're responsible for only for yourself. Like as an actor, that's what you're responsible mm. for. Um, but it's also, I think it's why actors can become so self destructive, right? Like everything is about you all mm. day long. Okay. So you become very. You have to be a little obsessed with yourself. Uh, how you look, <laughs> what you're doing, you do. Hollywood is that you? You know, I've never heard of such a thing. <laughs> 
So and but, but they have to be like that's what they're that is literally what their job is. That's what they're selling. That's mm-hmm. what they're doing. So I, I it's not that I think they shouldn't be that. That that's you know that is this is what I have to offer as my product is me. So okay. I have to think about my product all the time, um, and that part of it I found really hard. Like I like I got bored with myself pretty soon i was like even playing two characters i'm like just so like wow you know well i'm just not that interesting you know after a while i'm like i'm just uh, and so i love directing and producing because it's more of a it's much more collaborative right like all directing and producing is about how you work with other people and making sure you make their jobs easy and making sure you like what is their talent and how can I bring that talent to life? But let me ask you this. And if I pick the wrong phrase, my apologies, but is the herding of cats with the role as being in charge, right? And, and I'm talking about you're trying to get all these actors to get along and, 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 and mesh well in scenes and stuff like that, right? Is that challenge better for you as Ellen Wheeler then I get so bored with myself that it, you know, it's not a challenge. What would you rather have? The well, the boredom of the acting or well, the... It's not, so I'm not bored acting. Okay. I love acting and it's, it's very fun. I just get bored with myself, like thinking about myself, right? Like you have to worry about, um, are you, I don't know, am I eating correctly? Am I getting enough sleep? Um, you know, uh, everything is about you. Because that's your, your career is, okay. is I mean, in a way, all of us, our careers are about us, but your product is you. When your product is, um, is the soap opera itself, then that's, then that's your main drive, you know, and, but I love acting because it's, um, fun. It's, it's just fun. Hmm. Um, producing is not always fun. It's, can be super stressful. So your career with, directing soap operas right how did you transition out of that realm into the more um roles that you're in now tell tell us how well, now how... i'm just a mom keith now you're just oh, by the way i'd like to point out that when you were eight years old uh you wrote down on a piece of paper that you wanted to have how many children one followed by a, an entire uh sheet's worth of zeros yeah well i know i wasn't quite old enough to understand what i was you doing still have that piece of paper i do actually yes, i still have it yes you gotta send me a picture i still have it um, uh, but I was writing notes. I was sitting in church and writing notes back and forth to my, my boyfriend, you know, like the boy that I liked and at eight his years name, old. Yeah. His name was Douglas Sorensen. So Douglas, <laughs> if you're out there, this is a moment I still remember. Um, but so we're writing notes back and forth to church and what I say to him at eight, thinking that like, it's going to be super attractive somehow. Like, I don't know. I'm sure no eight year old boys are sitting out there thinking, Hey, what I really am thinking about today is one wanting to have kids. But I was like, <laughs> when we grow up and get married, I want to have, and then I put one zero, 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 just, I filled up the rest of the page with zeros. And then I wrote kids. Did he get, did he get to see that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because we passed react? it down the row. I think probably oh, everyone in church got to there. see it. <laughs> I was thinking you just wrote it in church and no. took it to school the next day. You know day. how you pass notes in I school. I got it. But, <laughs> like, I think every child in the in the third grade saw it. That is awesome. Okay. So it didn't work out, though. I mean, obviously. you can see that Douglas and I did not stay together. 
I mean, things happen. Yeah. Right. I wonder if he went on. To I have... moved. I moved. See, he lived in oh. California and I moved to Utah. I wonder if he went on to find somebody who did give him one zero 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 zero. I don't zero, know. Zero, zero, I've never, I've well, never maybe asked Maybe he'll him. hear this and, uh, and reply with a picture of just, you know, two and a half kids. Maybe. Yeah. So maybe. we'll see. So you're in the world of soap operas. We're talking about 80s, 90s, right? Yeah. In that realm? Okay. Well, yeah, clear into the 2000s. I mean, I okay. kept producing, yeah. you know, well well into the 2000s. So how did 2000s. you get from that world? What, what happened next? Well, I retired. Mm. I, I had my uh, my older children. They were like high school and junior high. Yeah, how many kids do you have? I, I have three. Yeah. And I wanted to be home with them. Sure. I'd been working, you know, for all of their childhood and I wanted to... I only had a couple years left and I wanted to just be home with them. Yeah. So I'm home now. And instead of now, instead of making TV, I start watching more TV because when you're making TV all day, you actually do not spend a lot of time watching it. Yeah. You know, can I just interject for just a moment is that a lot of people, they, they get surprised. Like you didn't see this. You didn't watch this, bro. I got to be honest with you. I, I don't watch a lot of shows. I, I We talk politics on Pat Gray for a couple hours in the morning. And, you know, I and keep, then you spend the rest of the day researching what right, you're going to talk about you. tomorrow. I'm keeping mm-hmm. an eye on this this crumbling world of ours. I, I'm not, you know, necessarily yeah, listening nor- to other shows. That's not that doesn't take anything away from there's some very talented people out there. It's just that I'm not in that realm where it's just on in my life, you right. know. My normal day was about a 20-hour work day yeah. when I was executive producing. So, I I mean, I honestly, I like the, the movie, you know, people ask me about the movies that came out during that six-year period of time. I'm like, I haven't ever, I, mean, I didn't ever see that movie. Yeah, me either, but that's just because I don't get out much. But I <laughs> understand I, what you're saying. If I did try to go see it, I, I mean, I fell asleep in, I went to see all three Lord of the, is it three Lord of the Rings? Four, sure. however many. Right. right, like I went to see them all. And I fell asleep within the first oh. 10 minutes. Oh, you know, I it's not, so bad for not even kids. that they weren't good. I'm sure yeah. they were excellent. It's just I, w- I was working a lot of hours and I, you know, it's yeah. quiet, dark. My kids are always theater. having to wake me up. Stuff. <laughs> Dad, what? Okay. And I'm just like, you guys enjoy it. I'll watch it later. You know? Yeah. Exactly. Okay. I understand. So, but then I'm home watching TV and, um, and actually, a, a lot of it came from just the news in general, kind of what you said, the state of the world. But um, it it came from uh, watching Glenn Beck on on Fox. Not, uh-huh. I mean, I you know he was on Fox. He would anyway. So I'm watching stuff, and I'm like, I the state of the world is really upsetting. So I start paying attention to politics more. I did grow up with a very a family that was very like uh, you know uh, capitalism and conservatism we love and, America. yeah uh-huh. and and so i'd always been compl- very aware of that uh but as i kept listening what i noticed was that um conservatives and the right are not that great at messaging <laughs> and i had just spent the last you know 12 years of my life um directing and producing what was only like, how do you reach people emotionally, right? Like that's what a soap opera is all about is like, how do you connect to them on yeah. a, on an emotional okay. level? Make not want to keep coming not back. a cerebral, yeah, not a cerebral level, but how do you like really, yeah, make them want to yeah, come because back because, because they're connected. in the character, yeah. then why do I care what yeah. happens to them tomorrow? And, and I, um, so I was, uh, I was reading some information that came in on my computer and one came in from, um, 
uh, Freedom Works, uh, uh, like a, a right leaning uh, group. Yeah. And and on the same day, I got one from Barack Obama. And the one from Freedom Works was, I mean, it was really, it was actually like a conference that I wanted to go to. I, you know, they were sending me an advertisement for this conference. But I think they called it like entrepreneurial uh, conservatism in the something of the something. Do you know what I mean? I'm like, I got you. I'm like, yeah, that like, I mean, that sounds great, but it's like, very eh, cerebral, yeah. right? Like, uh -huh. it, you know, I gotcha. um, and, and then that, that day, the one that came in from Barack Obama was, um, uh, uh, like when you opened the email, it was immediately a video of a 17 year old boy who said, I lost my dad today. Wow. And it was a, about a shooting that had happened in, you know, so it was a gun control video. Mm -hmm. And it was this 17-year-old boy talking about how in the last two days had, his dad had been shot. So which one do you think gets more attention? And I, it really, I was like, you know, if I'm at home, uh, this is the one that I respond to. Because I'm emotionally, immediately, whether I believe in this, right. in the gun control issue or right. not. Right, if you pick just some I neutral am, American that doesn't take sides, yeah, but, who you're uh, getting but, to. But I, even me, like, uh, of course oh, I'm emotionally yeah. connected. I'm not, even, I'm not saying it made me click sure, on I got it, you, but I got I'm you. emotionally connected yeah. to that boy. Of course I care about him. I don't want him to lose his dad. I mean, that, yeah. I, I, but I was like, wow, our side really needs some help. Like we're not doing such a good job at this yeah. messaging thing. So I, I just went to a freedom works conference. I just like got on a plane the next day. They were having one in Cincinnati, Ohio. I got on a plane, I flew out and, uh, walked up to, uh, Matt Kibbe, who at that time was the, uh, yeah, the head of freedom works. And I said, Hey, I, I, I've had all this time in television. Let me come help you with your messaging. Like, let me just volunteer wow. and help you with your messaging. So that kind of led, like he said, I think he thought I was crazy. Sure. You know, like what person just walks up and says that? But, right, so, but how many people make a difference, not only in their own lives, but go on to to help organizations like that by going out on a limb and, and really making themselves, making themselves vulnerable like that, where they're just like, yep, uh, this could go either way. You could think I'm the craziest person in the world, we'll never talk again, or I can actually do a lot of good for your group or your organization. Well, and and luckily Matt said, sure. He was like, sure, I do I do think he thought I was crazy and he kind of <laughs> pawned me off on someone else. Okay. But, but you know, I, I did end up um, kind of working with them and then that led me to just, you know, I just, I've met lots of yeah. people through that and, yeah. and that's mostly what I do is they'll, they'll occasionally call me, people will call and say, we have to work on this kind of messaging. What, you know, when they want the cerebral, like we need to talk about the constitution um, and all of its uh, legal ramifications. I'm not the person that they call. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> awesome. Right. But when they want to say, let's talk about the constitution and how that impacts our daily lives and how we can emotionally remind people of what's important in the constitution, then I might be someone that they call. Gotcha. Yeah. So, in your messaging and in your uh, attempts to to connect with people, I'm sure there have been challenges along the way. And maybe you don't want to talk about this, but is there anything that stands out that you're willing to share where you can go, yeah, let me tell you about the time I couldn't get this actor to, to, to deliver a line this way, or I couldn't get a politician to, to understand my vision. What's been maybe a, a big challenge along the way that, that you would care to enlighten us with? 
I think I think one of the hardest things is when you're when you're trying to create an emotional connection and you're working with uh, a network like the soap operas that I worked for mostly were owned by large corporations like Procter and Gamble right. or Coca-Cola yeah. like yeah. that. So you're dealing with a network, ABC, CBS, you know, whatever, maybe, maybe it's a Netflix today, but often the, the entity itself, the show itself is owned by a different corporation than where it airs. So you're dealing with three or four often large corporations behind uh, wow, that's the, a lot of people, a lot of suits to answer to. Correct. Huh? That's a lot of people to to get to see the vision of of how you're trying to connect. And um, uh, we we told several what you know what people considered controversial storylines while I was at the soap opera, and I think it was hard to get um, you know to get uh, I I was when I was an actor I was in the first I played the first one of the first made major. AIDS characters, characters with AIDS on television anywhere. There was only a couple of people who had ever portrayed AIDS in any way. Um, And so, you know, dealing with that, that's that's the kind of, so we're talking in the 80s, right? Like we're talking when Rock Hudson had barely died. So it was like no one knew anything about it. A major um, barrier Yes. So, so get, but when, when what you're trying to do is give uh, real information, right? Like accurate, as accurate as it can be and get people emotionally involved, uh, so that people will stop maybe passing judgment at a time when judgment was rampant. Like it was a very, but you're trying to do it and still sell, like people have to, you know, the, the, and the network still has to feel like they can sell commercials during this time, you know, during that time. So it can be like weaving that thread can be really tricky. I have to say that's actually one of the fun things about being a producer though, is how do you thread that needle, right? Like you're trying to say, I need to tell this story. It has to be emotionally true. It has to be um, honest in its dealing with whatever the subject matter is, like in this instance, AIDS, it has to still be um, compelling enough that people learn something from it because we we're doing the story so that people learn something. But it can't be so preachy that um, uh, right. Folgers doesn't want to take out an ad during this, you know, during this storyline. So uh, I that's a, I mean. To, I think a, to a lot of people who would consider themselves artists, that can be really cha- you know challenging. They're like, then I have to not be true to my art. Right. But I find that I find that challenge fascinating. I mean, Shakespeare had to do the same thing, right? Like he had to write his plays, and still the king was going to pay for them. So how do I write the play how I want it and still make sure it? I don't get my head chopped off right. because <laughs> the king didn't so like it, so every, I can write another play. Right. Does every <laughs> script? Like for a soap opera with a Procter and Gamble behind it, does every script go through them proactively, or 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 are there red flags that come up and they're like, we got to get this cleared, or how does that? How much time is between a script being written before it airs? Every show has its own, you know, its own dynamic that they work within. But on a soap opera, you are working at least a year out in laying out your long-term story. Oh, wow. Now that doesn't mean that long-term story won't probably go through a lot of changes yeah. because as you, as you delve into it, you, you know, you, like you've, 
big chalkboard? There's a great big, yeah, there's big a great wall? big, you know, there's usually a great big map. Huh. Um, uh, and then I'd love to see one of those. Yeah. And then you break that down into sort of like the monthly and then the weekly and then the daily. And they are involved to to a certain degree in all of that. Like you send that material to all of them, but certainly the major like, here's what's going to happen this week. Here's the main story points that are going to happen this week. Mm-hmm. Certainly both the network and the whoever owns mm-hmm. the show gets to, you know, gets to weigh in on that because they don't want to be surprised. Right. They don't want to get to airtime and go like, you said what about what? You know, we, we're, we, 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 we don't endorse that at all. And you see that happening today all the time. Right. Like something goes on the air and then, uh, you know, Disney is like, that's not actually right. Like that's not actually something. But it it, but that happens more in in like this, like with, you know, radio podcasts, because they are looking at the scripts scripted. That doesn't happen in scripted stuff very often because someone's looking at it. Right. Okay. so you mentioned how there is this um, map. Right. Is it just. Just help me out here. Help me visualize. Is it just the wall, like where you just see each character's name and just like roughly explain to me what you mean by a map? Because that's what I envision. And then I, I would love to see a picture of something like that, you know. And then like after, because I'm sure that that it's guarded, right? You oh, don't yeah. you let that stuff out, so they probably only let you take pictures. But I would love to see a show. This is how I envision it, and you're gonna correct me on all this. But I envision a wall. Full of characters, timeline, where their paths cross, little bullet points, just like you said, you know, it's a map. This is how I envision it. And I would love to see after a show is done with its run to see where things it actually did, did they actually yeah. right, did they actually Is it well, like that? It it definitely is like that. Like, Rick, you you want to make sure you're having uh, uh, not all the climaxes of a story happen at once, right? right? Like, you have to make sure they're rising and falling um, off of each other. Um, and then there are sometimes where you do want several stories to, you know, you know, like you're, oh, we're gonna make all of these stories come together right at Christmas time. Or we're going to make them all, you know, we're going to make all the happy endings happen at Christmas time. And then off of that, we're going to have an explosion on the boat and you won't even know who's alive at the end of all these happy endings. Right. Like (laughs) it just depends on what you're trying to do in the soap opera world. It's particularly um, complicated because like the soap opera that I took over was on for 70 years. 7D. So, you know, you are dealing with not only how that, you... As the world turns? Uh, what do I win? Guiding light. Guiding light. Um, I win nothing. So, okay. um, you're dealing with also the history, right? Like, you have to be true to the history. You can't right. just start writing something that you want and and uh, and all of a sudden go like, oh, but this guy's actually... We're going to say that he's her cousin. You're like... You'll hear about her. it. Yeah. Oh, you <laughs> totally will hear about it. So... Don't you, be messing with my stories. Exactly. <laughs> So, um, so you're dealing with the history as well. You know, when I, when I became an executive producer, they sent me what they call like, you know, the show Bible and it's like, you know, reams of papers worth of of like, you know, here's what you, here's the information that you need to know. I got hired on a, on a Friday to start on a Monday and over the weekend, I literally just boxes showed up at my apartment in New York city. And, you know, like they were like, here's what you need to know. I'm like, here's what I need to know. This is like five boxes of material. I certainly can't read this over the weekend. So, you know, there was a, a pretty swift learning curve to catch up How on, familiar were you on who is who. Uh, 
I mean, you're a little bit familiar yeah. of all the soap operas, but not that deep history going back a long time, right? Like you're more aware of like the, the ones that are on currently today. Wow. Okay. You mentioned the show Bible. I've heard of these where people will sell them. You know, somebody will write it off and now they, they sell the rights and everything about all the characters is in there. Boom. So let's talk about the Holy Bible. Because I think that's the most recent book you read. Is that is that accurate? Or well, I, your favorite? What? So I am not an I am not an avid reader. Yeah. I don't like so I don't read novels. I, if I read, it's an informational book Same usually. Same here. I, but mostly it's just because in novels, plots go very slowly. There's a lot of description, and I know that that's what people love about books because then they're like their imagination. But I'm like. Advance I'm like, the story. Yeah, I'm like, nothing's happening. Don't We're care just what color talking. The grass exactly. Was that's that what I was day, just going to say. Know? So the sand is yeah. sparkling yeah. in the sun. I'm like, I get that. The second you said it, it was sandy, a sandy beach, I'm like, the sun is sparkling on the sand. I, let, I got, let the reader fill in. I those already details. got that part. But no, but I get that other yeah. people love that. Like, I, I'm, I'm not saying books aren't good. I think they're awesome. Um, but because I read mostly informational books, I tend to not pick them up and necessarily read them from beginning to end. Right. Like I'm often saying, I need this piece of information. Mm -hmm. And so I'm going to grab this book that I buy an author I like or uh, and and try to glean that information out of it. Uh, but I read the Bible every day. So See, and that's that's awesome. And I just help me to understand the challenges of because you said you were raised LDS Yet you're in this Hollywood um, TV crazy world of acting and celebrity. What were some of the challenges? That's got to be tough to, to, to be not only religious, a Christian, but then in a more a conservative faith. Yeah. Mormonism. I think it can be really tough. I think it's one one reason that... You know, I think parents are reticent to have their children go into the arts. And I think... Yeah, you're talking one, to one right now. Yeah. I've got a little actress in Cer my... Yeah. In my and certainly one reason is that it's just hard to make a living, right? Like, it, it, there's... It's... If, if somebody says, hey, I want to be, uh, you know, uh, I don't know, an engineer or an accountant, you have a reasonably good suspicion that right. they're going to be able to find work. Um, and I'm not saying you can't find acting you can find a place to act there's always somebody who will you know who it, it can be hard you might have to audition a hundred times but there's not always somebody who will pay you yeah. to act yeah. or to sing or to paint so i think those th i think that that's really hard that way but it's also hard because there tends to be a lot of self-destructive behavior that accompanies See, those things is, no, you're hitting on exactly how i feel as a father Okay, so you're choosing a profession where the opportunities are are limited, few and far yeah. between. So you have a greater chance of of I don't want to say the word desperate, but you you're in a position where okay, I haven't had a paying job in months. I've got to land something. So you're already in a in a starving artist type mindset. Then you couple it with the kind of behaviors and lifestyles that are associated with well, Hollywood, and it just seems like you're asking for trouble. And I'm just, I I'm do just think amazed it, that you can make it through okay. I, I, I don't think it's that easy. I mean, if you, you know, if you look up how many 
Mormon actors are there. There aren't very many right? because most people don't stay active yeah. in the church. Uh, and so I think I think it can be I think it can be really hard. I just I just made up my mind ahead of time, mm -hmm. you know, not to not to. But I'm I'm not saying it's easy. I was I was driving home. I think I was 20 years old. I was driving home in my car from an audition, a commercial audition, and a man pulled up in his, um, I won't say what kind, but very expensive car behind me and started honking. And I thought something was wrong. Like he was honking and waving, pointing at my car. And I thought like, is my tire flat? You know, has something happened? And um, so I pulled over to see what was the matter. And this man got out of his car and he said, hi, what's your name? And I was like, my name's Ellen. What's going on? And I, I'll make it a very short version of the story, but he said, I'm this big time Hollywood producer. And he really was like, I looked him up. He really was. He had had several Academy Awards. I mean, he really was a big Hollywood producer. And he really did say, I can make you a star right now tonight. You just have to sleep with this person and this person and this person. I mean, that wasn't like, that was an on the spot offer. And I said, well, I don't do that. Like, that's not a thing for me. And he said, if you're not going to do that, you should go home right oh, now. Gosh. And so I mean, I, I went, I did go home, not to Utah, but I did go home and I cried and cried. And I remember calling my parents and saying like, is this true? You know, like, it, am I really not going to have a chance because I like, I'm not going to, what he asked for, I'm not going to make that choice, mm -hmm. but, um, but I don't want to, you know, like I don't. How many, how many women did he do that to that did make that, that choice? Yeah. And, and that's their choice. Even Keith, I'm not saying sure. that's yeah, not their yeah, choice. No, you're right, you're right. Um, um, yep. And I'm not even saying that that's not a, like, that's just not a choice for me. Yeah. Right. Like with what I believe that that wouldn't have been a good choice for me. And that would have led to a lot of years of unhappiness. So, yeah. but it is hard. Like I, that was a pretty dev. I mean, he, what he offered was, you know, pretty good. Like here's, hundred thousand dollars a year a house a car uh you know i'll make sure you're like he named the women's careers who he had made and it was a it was a very um you know th that's a lot to walk away from when you're 20 and trying to make it in hollywood sure. charlotte's web was listed as uh one of your favorite reads <laughs> i gotta tell you when i saw this answer i thought i think that might have been the first time i was ever depressed as a kid when i read that book <laughs> Like I said, like, I think that might have been my first experience of, of sadness, quite frankly, was was getting to the end of that book and going, you, you kind of see died? it coming. You see it coming and you're like, no, 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 don't read that. No, it's just one of the books I read recently. And that's because I try to read every day with my son. So my husband is currently reading The Princess Bride with him. And I was reading Charlotte's Web. So wait a minute. So your husband gets the good memories. <laughs> And then mom gets the, uh, the the sad story. Okay. Well, I think the next go around when y'all are both reading at the same time, you better get a happy book. Yeah. See, I never thought of, I guess I she does die, but I always thought of it as a happy book because it's a story about friendship. I guess. I guess. I don't know. You're talking to somebody who is obsessed with death, so that's not a good, I'm not a good gauge for that. Okay. Favorite comfort food, popcorn. Popcorn. Who doesn't want to eat popcorn? It's just good all the time. Like I, there's, if I could eat popcorn every day, I mean, there are other comfort foods I like too, okay. but popcorn is way up there. But when you go to a movie, do you get that 
theater butter popcorn I stuff. I like on? popcorn in all of its forms. Well, I don't like it sweet. Wait a minute. Like other kettle say, corn. I was just about to say kettle Ooh. corn is superior to regular popcorn. No, see, and I know lots of people love kettle what? corn or caramel corn. I am way just a, like, I, I don't like sugar that much in in general. Mm. Like, you know, if if so you say no to me, fun, is what if you're you, saying. pretty much, no. yeah, I I don't like sugar. I don't drink. I'm like I'm so boring. <laughs> <laughs> wow, this may be the best answer I've ever gotten for this question. Uh, if you could go back in time, if you could go back in history and meet one person, who would it be? The person who invented guacamole. <laughs> That's a good one. Okay, see, so while I say comfort food is popcorn, guacamole is way up there. Like, huh. and I know people don't think of that as comfort food, but man, yeah. like, don't you want to tell that person thank you? Uh, not me. You I don't like guacamole? No. Oh my god. Avocados, guacamole, oh. all that, ugh, hummus, all that dippy stuff. Oh, no. yeah, see, I'm, I'm, I'm way up there in the like, hey dude, Thank you. That that time wow. when you like fell down and it, you mushed up that that yeah. that avocado really changed your life. And huh? yeah, it really did. <laughs> it reminded me though. I guess it was the whole going back in history and the fact that it's guacamole avocados, right? Um, it made me think of this computer, uh, this commercial that so many people forget. It was during the Super Bowl one year. I don't know, five six years ago, and I thought it was just so creative, so well done, and it was like the prehistoric draft okay and so all the different countries of the world got to draft right and so mexico drafts the because it was a commercial for avocados avocados from mexico right and so mexico drafts the avocado and like the polar bear is all upset and sad because he wanted to live down where it was sunny and warm anyway that's what made me think of that commercial so uh congratulations i realize i am in this severe minority when it comes to guacamole and avocado so i get it it's a, it can be an acquired taste okay. i get i get that part too um you regret the cutting of your hair really short when was that uh somewhere while i was producing i i see so look at my hair right now yeah. keith my hair is long okay but yeah. look how i'm wearing it it's up, up in a little up. knot yeah. uh, you know and so i thought well since i always wear my hair up because i it's just more convenient. I don't like it. Like I'd like it to be long, but I don't like it hanging in my face because when I'm working, it's I don't know the a... feeling as you referenced earlier yes, with my scalp, your showing. scalp showing. <laughs> so, so I cut it short thinking that that would be great. Cause then it wouldn't be in my way, but see, then you can't pull it up and I don't like it. So, touching it's an annoying me at all. so I should probably link. just, I should probably just do what you've done and shave it is probably what I should do. But okay, next time you visit if come during the summer when it's hot in Texas, right? And and let's see this new do. I, I want to see that. I am not thinking it would be a good look for no? me. Okay. Um, checking your Amazon cart right now. You say there's calf feed in there. Yeah. How many? Well, what I didn't want to say. Uh-huh. And so now I look, I'm going to say it anyway. And I, <laughs> I knew you would get me to say one thing that I was like, I don't want to say that because it'll come off controversial to somebody. Oh, but, no. but what is in my cart right now is calf feed and calf weaning rings. Why is that? Why is that controversial? Because they're like a nose ring, oh. you know, like a, you know, like a bull wears a yeah. nose ring. Yeah. But what is they, that all about anyway? Uh, that's so they can tie a rope on it and lead them around. Oh my gosh! I never. I look. I'm sorry. I am. I am completely honest with this audience. I've just. I've always seen the the bull with the ring cartoon nose. You know, yeah. and you're like. 
what is I never I never thought about the next step. I didn't even think of that. So when you're when you're trying to wean a calf and get it to stop suckling off of its mother, you put like this nose ring in. But Uh the nose ring has spikes so that when the calf goes to try to suckle, the spikes like poke into the mom Uh and she kicks the calf off. That's interesting. Yeah. So that's actually because it's weaning time. See, I live near a field where the cows roam around and you'll hear on occasion the moms wandering around looking for their babies, right? And you're like, oh no. Oh, there's a separation that's happened. But they always find so when I the first year that we had calves uh, and and it was you know, Shannon and I are up at the ranch and we're we're not ranchers. We have become ranchers, but at this point we weren't. Okay. We would get up in the middle of the night. Like we would hear a cow uh, moving to her calf mm-hmm. and we would get up like we got to go help her like right, she's not oh my goodness and now we realize like oh they find their calf like they find her they always I had find the same them. reaction and my neighbor finally enlightens me and he's like just they're, they're gonna they're, find him yeah it's yeah cool. it's amazing it's it's miraculous that they can find each other and i mean we have thousands of acres and hundreds of cows and that you know they find each other so if i'm a uh, newborn calf right and i hear a mama's voice from the other side of the field. Do I know that's my mom? Totally. Or, really? They, they, it's uh, not just some they, rando cow out there making noise? Well, it could be a rando cow out there making that's noise. That's what I'm saying. Is but the baby you, able to discern that? They are completely wow. able to discern it. It's 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 quite... It, it, they're they're fascinating animals. I've I love them. I love, we give them credit yeah, for. Yeah, I love my cows. Huh. On a plate? <laughs> no. <laughs> well, I do love to eat them, too. <laughs> As a matter of fact, I have a you know a couple that are getting ready for that right now. But um, <laughs> we might we might tag PETA in this uh, episode <laughs> as a key word. No, okay. So all right, uh, almost done here, and then I promise to let you go. Um, the most sc- you you listed the most scared you've ever been as sitting down for this podcast. Please tell me it's been a piece of cake. You uh, it has been okay. a piece of cake. Everybody but- says it's less stressful when they're at the end. They were like, yeah. wow, this wasn't as bad as I thought. Well- but here, but here's here's the thing. As an actress, I don't actually like. I like when someone scripts my lines for me. When I have to talk extemporaneously, I'm afraid I'll just be an nincompoop. And now I realize I was an nincompoop, but that's been totally okay because you were equally nincompoopish. Wait a minute! Don't throw me under the bus. <laughs> so I agree. We, <laughs> so together we made a very good team. Yeah, I think so. But before we go, yesterday when 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 I saw you here in the building. You were telling me, um, we got off on a, a conversation about the time you were near Mount St. Helens. I, I Can you share that? Because, <laughs> I mean, you had ash of all this. This would happen to me, Ellen, where I would fly to the middle of nowhere in Washington State just as I'm landing. A volcano erupts for the first time in who knows how long that devastates the region. This was your experience in 1980. And tell us how that was with, with, with the way you described the sky and the ash. Oh my gosh, I can't imagine. I was right there with you. So I, I was, this is that play that I was touring in. Oh, right? wow. That I left college to yeah. go tour in this, in this play. And, um, and we would, we would do our performances, but um, on the weekends and in between, we would go do firesides, like religious firesides. Uh-huh. So we would split up the cast into groups of two and three and and go m- meet with congregations and like, 
you know, speak to the youth. That's the kind of thing that you do when you're, you know, when you're touring. So we were flying into uh, Washington and um, as we flew in, they announced on the plane that Mount St. Helens had just erupted. Now, this wasn't in the time of Internet, so you didn't have the ready kind of information. Like, you know, it's not like everybody whipped out their phones right. and went like, oh, I wonder what that means. Well, you know, the pilot just made an announcement. Oh, Mount St. Helens has just erupted. And even even once you landed, there, there wasn't just ready information everywhere. Like, you know, all of America, that announcement came over the news. Mount St. Helens erupted. But it wasn't until eight or 10 hours later that we were like, oh, and it's causing this major devastation across the whole region. Right. Like in the MB, in the beginning, it seemed like, oh, look, it made the mountain explode. Sure. But we didn't realize what it was what was going to happen spreading to the west. I mean, to the east. So I we landed in a city that was east of Mount St. Helens. And we got, we are heading into the church and you can look off on the horizon, way off on the horizon, like clear out there. And you can just see a, a like a line of what looks like dark clouds, but it's blacker than dark clouds. It's, but it's just this little line. Mm. And we're like, wow, look at that. Look at those dark clouds rolling in. That's what we thought. I mean, there was no, news that something bad was coming just you know oh look at those dark clouds coming and we went in and we start the fireside and we are we sing to the kids and we give talks and we're praying together and um and all of a sudden someone comes running up from the back of the congregation and talks to the the man who's presiding and he gets up immediately like right in the middle of someone's talk and says excuse me we've been asked uh, by the authorities to go home Everyone needs to go home. We're going to have a closing prayer right now. Get in your cars and go home. So we come out from church, from the church that we're in. And now on the opposite horizon, you can just see a little patch of blue sky left. Wow. And we, it's so amazing to have seen it. Like it was, you know, the, um, an hour ago, it was black on one, you know, just a little line of black. Now the entire sky is black and there's just a little crack. Of Middle blue of the day. Sky. Middle of the day. And we, so we just stand there, the three of us, the two, the two men that I'm with from the play, we, we just stand there. All, everybody else is jumping in their cars. They're going home. We don't have a home, right? Like mm -hmm. we don't live here. So they're jumping in their cars to go home. We look at that little crack and literally as, as the ash, we don't know at that point that it's ash. We don't, I mean, we know that it's something to do with volcano, but we don't know what. As it closes that little crack in the sky, all of a sudden, blackness like a, a kind of blackness that i've never seen is you you cannot see anywhere it, it's just there there is no light left i you can't see eight feet in front of you because all the light is blocked wow. the street lights aren't on or anything because it's the middle of the day right. so it's just black completely black so we get in our car and we start driving to what we think is the hotel we see on our way uh um a taco bell so we stop in the Taco Bell. Everything else is closed by this point. We see at Taco Bell and we go in and they're closing up and we say, can we get some food? And they're like, no, the, they decided to sell us what they had left. Um, by the time we get to the hotel, the ash, because it's way up high in the sky, is starting to fall down. Like it's actually starting to fill up the sky with like a haze. God. And um, we spent the next three days stuck in this hotel. And I would say with leftover Taco Bell, with leftover Taco Bell <laughs> that we're keeping cold on on ice from the oh, from the hotel gosh. machine. Um, 
and I would I would say it's very much like going through this pandemic in that um, no one this was completely unexpected. No one had any answers. So one minute you would hear there's nothing there, there's nothing to fear from the ash. Like it, it won't hurt you. Mm-hmm. And the next minute you would hear, no, you can't go outside. Like if you, it, this was on the news every few minutes, yeah. 20 minutes later, if you go outside and you breathe the ash, you're going to like get cancer in your lungs and you'll die. And the next minute it would be like, oh, you know, you can go outside, but be sure you put on a mask, something to cover your face so you're not breathing in the ash. And the next minute it would say, put on a, not just a mask, a wet mask. And then half an hour later, they'd say, whatever you do, don't put on a wet mask because that makes the stuff toxic. That makes the ash toxic. So it was um, a totally fearful time and enrolls the National Guard and enrolls armies and you're not, no one's allowed to leave. Like, because they don't, it's, it's scary enough. I know that this didn't seem like this if you weren't in, in the middle of the ash, but they didn't know if like, something was happening to all of us who were there. So they like, you weren't allowed to leave and you weren't allowed to drive out because you couldn't see, you you know, you couldn't see more than 10 or 15 feet because ash kept falling from the skies for days. So we sat there for a while and then we realized after, you know, two and a half days, like if we're going to die, if we're going to die here, if we're going to die from being in this ash anyway, we might as well die trying to get out and get back and see our families. There weren't cell phones. We hadn't talked to our parents. We couldn't get a line going out. Wow, that must have been tough. So it was a very interesting time. So we got in the car. We rented it. We got in our rented car and we uh, went and found uh, one store that was open that had an extra air filter. So we bought an extra air filter for our car. And then we decided we would go out to dinner. There was one restaurant in town open at some big, nice hotel. So we went to that hotel in case it was the last meal we ever ate. I mean, that's literally what we were thinking to ourselves. Like, what if we die on the way trying to drive out? So we went and had this one last meal at the the hotel. We came out of the hotel and now ash is... Ash, and when when I say ash, it's like talcum powder. That's the best way I can describe it. It's about the consistency of flour or talcum powder. And the ash is about a foot to a foot and a half deep everywhere that you go. So you're just walking through it. And when you walk, it's just poofing up like like flour would. Mm. It was kind of fun. So we were stomping. Because, <laughs> um, you know, I was only 18. Yeah. So you're kind of, we were kind of stomping and making it poof. And then we realized this is really fun. So we like scooped up a great big pile of it like as tall as one of us then we would run and jump in it (laughs) and just it would poof it would kind of catch you and poof out all over anyway so we played in the ash that night and then we went home and showered and we got up the next morning and we ventured out and um we had to take all back roads because the main roads were closed off by the national guard wow and on my way out of town i know so what this is a pretty it's pretty scary right like i have to say it was it was kind of terrifying and everyone was terrified like everything stopped there but on my way out of town i n- noticed something as you got further away especially out of the main part of the city that we were in into the suburbs what i saw were people out and about some of them were wearing masks and some of them weren't wearing masks <laughs> because nobody knew what the right advice was mm-hmm. But they were out there with their shovels and their rakes and their buckets, even though what they had been told is you have to stay inside. But they weren't staying inside. They were out there cleaning off the streets and the sidewalks and their yards and their furniture. And they were going to put their lives back together. 
and make things get back to normal. And they weren't waiting for the government to come in and do it for them. And they weren't waiting to be told it was all right. They were just doing it. And it had a big impact on me as I drove out of town. Mm. And when we finally got far west enough to join up with the rest of our group and got out of where there wasn't, you know, there wasn't ash anymore and life was back to normal. And it was so interesting to see that. But like as you drove out of it, like the rest of American life had just gone on. Like nothing had stopped for them, right? Like they were hearing about it on TV, but they were still just going to the store and getting Slurpees at 7-Eleven. It was exactly the same for them. Um, and as I got into my hotel room that night, I went out onto the balcony to just take a breath and be alone for a minute. And I thought, oh my goodness, that was really terrifying. And one of the only times that I've ever felt like a, I don't know, some sort of rev personal revelatory moment. Not like God spoke to me in some big booming voice, but uh, the impression came to me very strongly. This is what it will be like at the end of the world. Mm. Things will be hard and there will be devastation, but people will work so quickly to put it back to normal and, and it won't be happening everywhere all at once. I mean, even in this, this pandemic uh, going through COVID, things... Um, it hit certain areas harder than it hit other areas. And mostly what we're trying to do all the time is get back to normal. And I, what, I, what God was trying to let me know is the end of the world will still come as a thief in the night, even though the devastations will come and even though things will be falling apart because man is so compelled to take care of himself and go back to normal that even in the midst of the upheaval and the difficulty, we won't be able to, we, life isn't just going to fall apart and we all go back to horse and buggies and no electricity. I mean, that doesn't mean those things may not happen. I was like, what if there's an EMP? But that, that doesn't <laughs> mean those things may not happen to a little area at a little time. But even gotcha. if it, there is an EMP, we'll put it back together as quickly as we can. We're not just going to all of a sudden say, okay, now I'm just going to burn coal and sit around a fire you know, uh, in my camping out in my backyard. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not saying that something that bad might not happen for a few days, but we won't subsist like that forever because yeah. we know, we know we have the knowledge to put it back to normal. And I'm not saying that that means it's good that we put it back to normal. It means that in my belief that Christ is coming, he could still come even with the devastation that's going on and us not recognize how close it is. Well said. This has been a great conversation. Is there anything we've missed that uh, that we need to uh, cover here, or you, you feel like we've sufficiently covered? I think all the, the only thing we haven't covered is how devastatingly blue your eyes are. <laughs> okay. All right. Thank you. I always called him Hazel. Oh, but here in this light, your eyes are just very, <laughs> I think it's very just blue. Like, I think it's the natural light right yeah, here. It's at, fantastic. At the, okay. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Okay. Um, all right. Well, I thank you for making time. I'm so glad we could make this work. And um, you better let me know next time you're coming to Dallas. I don't want to just stumble on you out here in the hallway. Well, if Got you that? had your eyes open, then you wouldn't be stumbling over the people in the hallway. That was weak. All right. Thank you, Ellen <laughs> Wheeler, sitting down with me on At The Mic. It was so great getting to know more of Ellen Wheeler's story. I hope you enjoyed our time with her as well. I tell you what, if you wouldn't mind doing this podcast a huge favor, could you take a moment over the next week to tell a friend about At The Mic? You could text them the link to atthemikeshow.com. 
Tell them that, look, conversations that are easy to listen to are waiting for them. So if they need something uh, to kind of shake up their podcast library, send them the link to at themikeshow.com, available on Spotify, Apple iTunes, uh, Google Play, all over the place. So if you could share this show with someone that you like, or maybe send it to an enemy, maybe it could bring you guys together. Uh, we, we'd so much appreciate it. So thank you for listening. Oh, and don't forget show merchandise available at atthemikeshop.com. I appreciate it when you check that out. We try to add new stuff as often as we can. Next week, I hope you'll join us when we sit down with J.P. Decker. Uh, he and I have worked together at The Blaze. Now he's with the charity Mercury One. He's a great guy, and it's a fun conversation that I hope you will join us for. But until then, please go be free, and thank you for listening. This has been At The Mic with Keith, an independent podcast production. Head to atthemikeshow.com for archived episodes, sponsor information, and ways to connect. 